will bless you guys tonight. Uh, I've got uh, a pretty simple message. We had a, a, a good talk on Tuesday about our status as image bearer. And the thing that the Lord reminded me is how easy it is to get locked into this stuff as teaching or as just concepts or principles or, you know, God forbid, doctrine or something that's even worse than just principles. But, uh, and, and it's not that that's not true. And it's not that what we've been talking about doesn't involve scriptural principles and, and realities and stuff. But there's something here. There's a reality regarding image bearing. And there are constitutional elemental realities to that. And they revolve around the person of God himself. And so, uh, anyway, let's get started. Jesus' success. This is only uh, one uh, review slide. Richard, you'll be proud of me. Yeah. So Jesus' success on the cross resulted in sins are forgiven, exile ends. I was going to say it's broken, but I didn't have enough room to use that long a word. And the exiles are welcome. So I don't know. That's kind of small. I don't know if you can tell, but that's like a, I thought it was a cool looking shot of the prodigal son coming home and the father going out to meet him. So that is one of the fruits of the cross, is that a welcome home has been extended. Okay? Now, there's problems with this particular picture because I don't think Jesus and the devil are on any sort of equal scale. But it was pretty hard to find a picture that set this issue up. Spiritual powers have been disempowered. If it was like this, it was kind of a winner-take-all arm wrestling match, and Jesus... Bam! Put him down. <laughs> it uh, it works a little bit. It works a little bit. You know what I mean. This was a characterization. Now, what I did find when I was looking for pictures for this, there are a number of Gothic sculptures. There are a number of uh, cathedral adornments. There's a, a picture by a guy named Van Dorn. Very powerful stuff with angels and, and defeating the devil and casting him out. A lot of them are more based on. The passage in Revelations where there was a war in heaven, Michael defeated him. I didn't see much of anything, so maybe somebody here can paint one. It'd be cool to put something together. It'd be cool to put something together. Anyway, until then, we have the uh, arm wrestling. And then image bearers are restored and empowered. And the Holy Spirit plays a, a big, big deal in this. <laughs> And I didn't know how to not make it religious, so I figured whoosh, boom, would sort of summarize Acts chapter 2 and the reality of the Holy Spirit in here. So uh, anyhow, I don't know what I've been doing with pictures. It's more fun. Here's a verse. Tim, put it up here for you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you after a little while. The world will no longer see me, but you'll see me because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. And this is the essence that I want to talk about tonight. It's the knowledge, the conscious acknowledgement of our oneness with Christ. It's the conscious acknowledgement of our union with the Father, with the Son, and the Spirit. And so uh, these three things add up to our image-bearing status. Okay, So let's talk about it a little bit more in detail. So this passage in John, I just want you to connect these things. And I'm not going to be in a position to teach anything new tonight because we've looked at all these scriptures. But it's important that we 
that we make an intentional effort to believe them. And not just to believe that they're true, but to believe that they apply. That's what Alan gave us an illustration of. He walked in a store and he got a pain in his neck. He could have got that pain in his neck because he got a kink driving over there. He could have interpreted into almost anything, but he interpreted it properly. He was an image bearer of God walking into an arena where God wanted to do something and where somebody needed God to do something. So it's pretty interesting. It was also interesting to me today that out of the folks that, that have joined us from Zoom, we had a chance to pray for four or five people in there today. That's a bigger number than normal, and it was a thrill to do so. And so I, I think that I think this is the thing. So let's I use kind of the highlighting to just go look. Jesus said he's going to ask the Father, and this is what he what the Father is going to do. He will give you another helper. So shame on me in my life growing up in Pentecostal church when, for that season of time when I bought into the, the explanation about the baptism of the Holy Spirit as if it were a reward for some sort of personal holiness or some sort of personal pursuit or some sort of Pentecostal distinction. Now, I, I'm not picking on anybody about that, but this was a promise before the Assemblies of God became a denomination. Yeah, it was. Guaranteed. I'm not big on history, but I know that's a fact. So it's the same thing about all of the applications. We spend so much of our energy categorizing things, I think we can get to the place where we forget that the things that we study, the things that we are seeking to understand doctrinally and and through Scripture and principle-wise, these are things that were spoken by Jesus as gifts to His body and to His people and to this world. So anyway, that's what that's a done deal for everybody in this room. He'll give another helper that he may be with you forever. That means that this helper, the Holy Spirit, and I, I chopped the verse up a little bit. You know, you guys know it pretty well. He is with you all the time, and he's going to be with you for as long as it takes. Matter of fact, for as long as there is. I remember I was perplexed one day. Uh, the Lord had been directing me to do some study about the marriage feast of the Lamb and the things that go on there. And I was studying, 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 and I go, Lord, I see you. You know, Father, you're the like the host of this thing, and it's for your son and so on. I, I understand the body, there's Jesus. Where's the Holy Spirit? And I felt like I felt like the Lord showed me, well, he's in you, teaching you how to be the bride. He's in you making you fit to be the bride. He's in you equipping you to be the bride. So this is a promise that you can read all the way up to the very last thing. And then when it reverts back to what the essence of ministry is in relationship to being invited to talk to Jesus, the Spirit and the bride are speaking with one voice. So it's pretty cool. Anyway, so I won't leave you as an orphan. I'll come to you after a little while. You'll no longer see me, but uh, the world will no longer see me, but you'll see me. And then he says this, because I live, you will live also. Do you understand that that's not conditional? It's relational. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have to believe, and that's not even the direction I'm trying to go with this. What I'm saying is the condition of life for us is that Jesus lives. The condition of life for us is his resurrection. And he rose. 
So maybe it, it might be better to say it's not questionable. He's alive. And because He lives, you will live also. And then in that day, you'll know that I'm my Father. And this is one of the things that I just want us to, to believe. So I kind of tried to highlight the things that it that it's up to us to just really be intentional about. Do I believe this? Can I lay aside my teacherly exploration and just go, this is a fact, even if there's parts of it I don't understand. And believe me, there are. Yeah, I think we can. I think we can. You know, in Hebrews it says, without faith it's impossible to please God, for he who comes to him must believe that he is. That belief that he is does not require a critical ability to dissect and analyze all the parts of him. That would be a big challenge. <laughs> that would be, it doesn't say that you, you can't please him because he please him, has to come and understand all about him. But we have to know that he is. We have to know that he is. The same thing here. In that day, you will know. Now, if you guys remember the context of Scripture, which I'm sure most of you do, he had just been talking about the Holy Spirit, and he just up there said, I'll ask the Father, he'll give you the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about that dude on his knees with the flames all around him. Whoosh, boom. Whoosh, boom. It's not any more complicated than that. I, I really believe so. So Colossians, it reads like this. In him, we, uh, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. So what I want you to think about yourself as for a moment is I want you to think about yourself as a person who is a restored image bearer. Bearing the image of God. Or being an image presenter, carrier, bearer of God. What Paul says here is what? That you are complete in Him. We have to begin to try to believe that. There's value in believing it. It's the kind of belief that can keep part of your spiritual ear open when you walk in a store and get a pain in your neck. And you can hear, oh, maybe this is not just something I need to work out. I think these are the things it means to be an image bearer. It's, it's, it's not something that we take off and put on. It's something that we are by virtue of the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. And those are all, all deeply woven together. In John chapter... Seven, toward the end of the chapter, Jesus says, all are thirsty, come to me and drink, and out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And then the commentary in the Scripture right there says, this he spake of the Spirit, who had not yet been poured out, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. But you know what? The Spirit has been poured out, because Jesus has been glorified. This is a past reality for you and I. And therefore, out of your belly is flowing rivers of living water. Is that hard to believe? Or are we just not accustomed to believing it? I think so. Yeah. She mentioned that we've been brainwashed a little bit by religious teaching otherwise. I also think it's we just keep these teachings at a distance. 
it's one thing we, we agree with them. I mean, everybody believes everything I've said because it's all written right there in Scripture. But do we do we think about it? This is me. Or can we get into that mode by looking at somebody else in the room and saying, this is you? And I think we can. If we start thinking about one another that way, I think it'll be easier to see ourselves. So, in Him, deity dwells a bodily form, and you've been made complete in Him. He's the head over all rule and authority. So this kind of takes us back, you know, where he uh, uh, that arm wrestling thing with the devil. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So now what we're going to read in just a second, when did that happen? You're going to have to, if you're going to talk, you're going to have to use the mic. Otherwise, they won't be able to hear you. Okay? Go ahead. Oh, yeah, I'll just put it down a little bit for you. Okay. There you go. Thank you. Uh, in answer to your question, I think we were dead in transgression is when um, Adam and Eve ate the apple, so our spirit died. That's where it started. And we lived in that, though. Yes. We were in that condition, in a yes. sense, one way or another. And again, this isn't something we have to fully understand. I appreciate you coming up. It's not something we have to fully understand. We just simply have to believe that this is a past event in our lives. And so we're sitting here tonight, and nobody in here has a question about believing in Jesus and stuff, so we don't even have to go there. All of us, all of us know that this applies to us. This applies to us. Hi, Sherry. Um, all right, let's keep going. When you were dead in your transgressions and, and see, so here's the deal. What do we have to do to get ready to be made alive together with Him? And the answer to that is nothing. The answer to that is nothing. Because it's happened when we were dead. It's done by His work. And all I'm trying to just to say, again, I'm not teaching anything new. We've talked about this for a while. And it's not really review. It's admonition to me. Believe it. Believe the next time I'm gonna. I've got some things, errands I've got to run tomorrow, and I want to go in at least marginally conscious of what you shared with us, Alan. You know, I want to go in conscious of the fact that Lord, there may be something of your kingdom that needs to be addressed here, and so I'm I'm listening. Now, I'm going to still be able to do my errand. I don't have to go around and put on a robe and be all religious or anything because that would defeat the purpose of it, I think. Anyway, yeah, Ronnie. Can we also trust that uh, when it says you were dead in your transgressions, but he made you alive together with him, that that's for everybody, every person, all of us, not uh, just those that are in the room or I, you know, everyone in the world. Personally, the I think so, but I don't know that it's relevant to this point. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Because that's the kind of question that diverts me from taking responsibility to the fact that I'm alive. Doesn't divert me. It look, make, lets me look at other people and say, you. And that part of it is really good. So I'm yeah. assuming I'm not going to be able to go up to anybody that that doesn't apply to. Right. Yeah, whether yeah, they're saved. Yeah. Because what if somebody what if somebody like Alan had walked into a store where I was carrying a neck crick? 
before I gave my heart to the Lord? Would my stage in life, my stage in belief or unbelief, would it prevent him from being the image bearer that he is? No. I don't think anybody can prevent us from being the image bearer. I think you could walk into some place that was a, like a pagan festival, Richard, <laughs> like Burning Man. And does that paganism, does that secularism, does that New Age stuff in any way prevent you or hinder you from being an image bearer? It's the exact opposite as a matter of fact, right? All of a sudden, the reality of your image bearing status came to the front like a flashlight beam comes to visibility in the dark. I'm not saying there's not real darkness around. I'm not saying there's not issues in people. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying this is what I'm trying to get us to tonight. Am I an image bearer? And do I carry the presence of God? Do I carry it when I don't feel like I carry it? Do I carry it when I've just acted like an idiot five minutes before? Do I carry it when I'm struggling? Yes. I don't think any of that makes a difference. We've applied it to some stuff like forgiveness or grace, right? What if we apply it to presence? Jesus said, we'll get there in a second. It's an intrinsic part of the Great Commission. And I've told you guys the story how multiple times I've asked people, do you guys, uh, can somebody quote to me the Great Commission? And inevitably somebody in the room will say, yeah, you know, um, uh, all authority has been given to me. Uh, so therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And they always forget. And lo, I will be with you always, <laughs> even in the ends of the age. Now, not everybody does, and I don't think you guys would because I've told that story enough that I'd be surprised if you did. But he didn't, the, the world didn't qualify that commission. The disciples did. Where they went didn't qualify it. It didn't, it didn't, you know, he didn't say, pick a place that's open. It's not necessary. Wherever we go, or like Dan Muller says, as you go, wherever you go, you know? All right, let's get, uh, having canceled all the certificate of debt and everything, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public display of them. This thing is already done. That wrestling match, that arm wrestling match, that happened a long time ago. There's no rematches. Not with Jesus. Not with the kingdom. There's lying in wait, trying to deceive us into thinking that we still have to contend with that. I'm not saying that there's not spiritual warfare against you, but it involves lies. It involves deception. It involves trying to suck you in to an agreement that was broken and defeated a long time ago. And, and that's, that's hard, guys. I understand it's hard because there's a constant barrage of that kind of baloney. Okay, so that is when our restoration happened. Now I want you to think about receiving yours. And many of you already have. But I think there's room for growth. So when is your restoration as an image bearer actual or real? Well, it's real now. It's real now. Well, then why isn't it all just fully manifest? Well, there's a process involved. 
Does that mean it's conditional? You could say so. Does it mean it's conditional from God's side and based upon an inadequacy in the work of Jesus? No. What is it conditional upon? Well, it's relational for one thing. It's about your union with Jesus. It's about the truth of what He said in that day. You will know that I am in my Father. That's not changing. You're in me, and I'm in you. Those aren't changing either. It's relational. It's also based on believing that you're loved. I've, I struggled trying to figure out what phrase to use there. Knowing that you're loved. You know, uh, in 1 John chapter 4, it's a beautiful two-part statement. We have come to know and to believe the love of God that He has for us. Does it make a difference if you don't believe it? Yes, it does. Why? Well, I think it's because it opens up or because there's open space in your heart and in your mind, it creates a place where doubt can come in. And it creates a place. And it's not so much just doubt randomly. I think it's doubt about the value you have in the eyes of God. I think it's doubt about your worth as an image bearer. And I want us to settle that question. I don't care if you get up every morning and you write guys in lipstick on your mirror. I don't know if your wife would like that. but <laughs> Oh, well, you know what I'm talking about. Write it on the mirror. I don't, I don't know if it needs to become for a season in our lives, because I've had some things in my life like this where it's a part of, of just what I talk about. Not in some kind of mechanical, manic sort of confession, but, wow, Father, I just want to be reminded that I bear your image. I want to be reminded that my authority and role to do that has been restored because of the work of Jesus, not because of what I did yesterday or what I dreamt last night. My life is defined in large part by this assignment, I bear the image of the living God. And I am in union with Christ in the process. Yes, sir, Ronnie. I don't think I'll do this for every point, but okay. here I am. Um, for anyone that's seeing this, this last statement, because relational and based on believing your love, seeing that as a, a chore or something you haven't got yet and you're working on it, but you just don't know that you'll ever make it, you will. Even if it's not till you're dead, after you're dead, you will learn that you are loved. So you might as well just kind of let it happen now. Because <laughs> it's a lot better when you get to the point where you really believe you're loved. Because at some point, it's going to happen. So... Just surrender to it, in a sense. Why would you say at some point it's going to happen? Because God loves us, period. Because it is a relentless it's a, reality. Yeah, it's just there. It is a relentless reality. I can tell you that I didn't have that, and now I do, and things are different. It's a little like uh, from The Chosen, when... Uh, get used to different. Get used to different, yeah. Or I think it's Mary that says... Um, I was one way and then now I'm another. And the only thing that happened in the middle was him. him. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's Let cool. Him 
Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Well, as you're going up, I'm going to read this. Okay. Ephesians chapter 3. Paul knew this was an issue. Paul knew this was an issue. It's been an issue for a long time. You're not the first to experience it. I'm not the first to experience it. And nobody's invented any alternate solutions to knowing and believing that you're loved since it was a problem in the first place. Life's not that much more complex. We just have a lot of other distractions. So just a second. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name, that he would grant you according to the riches of whose glory? His, not yours. So the measuring stick here that guarantees this is Him. It's Him. And His glory is not fluctuating and variable. It's not vulnerable. Right? According to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. Through whom? Through the Spirit. Has the Spirit been poured out? Yes. Was there a time prior to when the Spirit was poured out? Yes. I don't fully understand how to talk about that. But it says that finally, that passage in the end of John 7. This he spake of the Spirit who had not yet been poured out because he was not yet glorified. Now, this makes some sense when Jesus said what I consider to be a ridiculous statement. He said to his disciples, it's good for you that I go away. <laughs> now, if, if you got a chance to hang out with Jesus for two or three years, is there any way, walking with Him, seeing what these guys saw, experiencing what they experienced, is there any way that He could say, you know, it's good for you that I go away, and you'd go, oh yeah, I understand that. <laughs> no, not in that. They didn't understand it. And of course, the horrific nature of His departure, uh, everything that led up to it, reinforced the fact that, well, this must not have worked out. But, those doubts were eliminated once they saw Him, once they prayed, once they received the Holy Spirit. And they can be for us too. It's good that things are the way they are. Okay, so anyway, uh, strength with power through the inner man and spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of God, the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Didn't we look at a Colossians passage just a minute ago that said, you are complete in Him? So that's what I'm saying here. That's what this is about. It's an age-old problem. The answer is the same. It's knowing that you're loved and being filled with that. Go ahead. It's on. There you go. I, I think... Um... Just being real is that a lot of people have a hard time understand their love because either from past trauma or growing up or, and being in a certain culture that you have to perform a certain way in order to receive love mm -hmm. and everything. And I guess my question is how do you um, um, experience the love of God unless it happened to you supernaturally? Because you can't. Wear a mask, say, yeah, I'm love, I feel I'm love, it's all good, you know, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But you want to be real, you know. You, okay, granted, I understand I'm an image bearer of God, but how does that become a, a reality for a person who's been, I guess you can say, brainwashed or conditioning that you had to 
perform a certain way, be a certain way in order to earn love or to receive love, kind of, you know what I mean? Now, I understand that God is love, and he doesn't do that, but we live in this world, in a fallen world, in self, where people don't really experience the unconditional love as everyday thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I'm being real, real, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But, I mean, everything you said, I agree with. You know, I truly do. But to go from your concept and make it a reality to everyday person, I kind of wonder how does that happen? Unless God, you know, make a way to make it supernaturally happen. I believe that's possible too, you know. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's let's just take a couple of factors in mind. And then while I'm listing these three or four points, any of you that have ever had an experience where you had a hard time believing that you were lovable, and then you came to believe that God loved you, I'd like you to come up and share what that is. Hang on, just a second. Yeah, be ready. Just, just, just a second. Um, so one thing is that love has been given to everyone as a gift. It says that God uh, spread the love of God abroad in our hearts. So th- He's working on it. The Scripture also says that it is God who works in you to will and do according to His pleasure. Now, because most of us are just workaholics, and we evaluate our the success of our relationship on the basis of what we do, we assume that Scripture means that God is working in us so that we can do some religious work that will bless Him. But what He's working in us for, at the very least, because this is so central, He's working in us to experience His love. He's working in us to, to, to will and do according to His good pleasure. And his good pleasure is revealed in the scripture by saying, he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he must believe that he is a rewarder of those that seek him. So God's working so that we can know his love. You two guys, come on up. Uh, Cheryl will be up in a sec. That's okay, Becky. You were front and center, back and to the left. I can totally relate to your question in the process of understanding that, discovering it myself. One of the things that's helping me right now in a very practical way is um, just letting, as the day unfolds, and letting the things that happen uh, happen and watching where things trigger me to to have either an emotional response or a rebellious spirit or defensive mechanism, anything that, like, fires me up. Um, to just, and I'm definitely in the big learning curve of this, so I do not have it figured out, but just to start being curious about that. And in that curiosity say, all right, Lord, where in this situation, why don't I feel loved? Mm. And start to break it down into just a daily little piece of something. It helps to bring this big overwhelming thing which normally is just something that you react to with an emotional response instead of a cut it down to size and ask a question about it. Yeah, like yeah. somebody's, you know, it can be anything. I mean, right now I'm just a whole big bucket of nerves, so it's everything. <laughs> but, you know, like somebody cutting you off, you know, and you're, and you're like, <clears throat> okay, why? Why do I have this? That doesn't feel like a open, I'm free, I'm loved response. 
So Father, talk to me about that. God, talk to me. Tell me. Bring up whatever it is that's there. Because I know that when you bring it up, it's already redeemed. It's already, you're ready for that to be restored. It's me that's holding on to it. And that's starting to break some things free. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. That is a, a super beautiful and, and kind of encouraging and meaningful explanation of the gap that I see in First John chapter 4 uh, between we have come to know and to believe. I think the reason there's two ends to that is there's space in the middle that we have to wrestle out. So, uh, excellent. Uh, yes. On Zoom. What, one of the things that with, with my journey was um, when I came back home, I just knew I had to get in his presence. I knew I had to get in God's presence. So I like I knew the scripture said that I was seated at the right hand of him in heavenly places in Christ. And so I mean, if I'm seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places in Christ, well, that means the, the Father God is right on my left. So what I used to do in the mornings, and it was a bit, this led me through one thing to another and then eventually where I am now. But I used to get out in the mornings and I used to get my chair and I used to position it so I could feel the warmth of the sun on my left. And then I used to shut my eyes and imagine being next to the Father and what I would see. And then I would ask Papa to show me things, you know, to tell me something, give me something. And sometimes he'd give me a scripture. Sometimes he'd give me a word, like a, a truth or something like that. I knew it was him because I'm not that clever. And the other times he would just be silent and it would just be still and know that I'm God. And I would picture myself in my imagination down by the river, leaning against Jesus because I love John leaning against Jesus and with our feet in the warm water and just being in his presence. And the more I did it, the more real, the more I felt his presence, the more. And it's sort of like, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Understand who you are. And it was me positioning. I said in, in a, a folding chair outside with the sun rising on my, on my left and shutting my eyes and feeling the warmth of the Father next to me. And so I just, I encourage anybody who hasn't felt the Father, just start there, start little. If you draw, he says, if, if we draw near, he's, he's, he's with us always. I'm, I forget the scripture exactly, but if we draw to him, he will draw to us. Amen. Uh, up on Zoom. Yeah, so I, I felt to um, share... Uh, when you were asking uh, about <clears throat> feeling loved, and um, I just felt to share an encounter that really um, I feel like was the beginning of the breaking off of a lot of baggage, I guess you could say in my life that that I had been carrying untruths about who God was, um, things that I had been taught rather than experienced about who who he was. Um, and so it, it looked something like this, and it was pretty incredible for me. Um, so I saw myself as 
like a three, four year old version of myself. Um, and I was in the presence of like one of the grandest and most majestic kings of all kings. And I took this crown that was so huge and so massive, like it was an adult crown and I was a toddler and, and I took it upon myself and I, I, I was, um, well, first I had taken the rope. There was a rope that I had put on and it was, it was like, I was playing dress up, you know, like a little kid playing dress up and it was so huge on me, but I put it on and, and I felt this belly laugh of God like that, that just shook me to the core. Like I felt it with every, within every cell of my being. And it was just this joy filled with love over me that God had for me. And and, and I took the crown and, and I, I kept putting it over my head and it wouldn't fit. Obviously it was too big for my head. Right. And, and, and so it would just rest on my shoulders and again, the belly laugh would come. And every time it was like the frequency of that laugh that I felt within myself, it shook things off of me and it began this transformation process. And, and yeah, so, it, and it was so filled with love. So beautiful. Illustration, a very personal illustration. Thank you for sharing. Said personal way, a very personal illustration of God working in us to will and do according to his pleasure. He makes himself known. Uh, he makes himself known. Jesus, at the end of John chapter 17, says, Father, I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known. And that, that's part of that. That's beautiful. Thank you. Go ahead, Ronnie. Sherry, you can come on up, too, when you're ready. So I was in a dark time. I had been saved for quite a while, and I just wasn't feeling or experiencing what I felt was real life from God. And I was hiking. And at the same time, I was still struggling with hearing God. And while I was hiking, I heard internally that God had three things he wanted me to remember. And I put them in a different order. And this is why I know it's God, because he corrected the order. <laughs> it's like, okay. So good. God is good. And I've been going through learning a little bit about that. So he's just good, really good in everything. That he's in me, like literally in me, like what we've been seeing on the screen here. And he loves me. And so what I did, because this is how God made me, I said, you love me even though you're in me and know everything about me, everything, every thought, every idea, everything yet you still love me. So that good in me and loves me is something that broke something in me and brought it to the point where I could start to experience that love. Yeah, you know, that's an example of what, agreeing is important. We, agreement plays a big role in our lives. When, you know, because we are agreeing with the evidence in the negative. And it is probably going to get to a place where you have to agree with the positive as well. 
I just wanted to share, um, there was a time I didn't even know I wasn't feeling love. I just knew I was, I mean, I just knew I wanted more of God, but I didn't know, I couldn't have defined it like you did so well, Doris. And, um, and I was, we were in a ministry time with a whole bunch of people and someone walked up and whispered in my ear, I want you to know that, um, that God wants to increase the capacity for you to receive his love. And then it was about a minute later, literally, that person walked away. Someone else came and whispered in my ear, I want you to know that God is increasing your capacity to receive love. And then about a minute later, someone walked up and said, God wants you to know that he has increased the capacity for you to receive love. And so it was within a less than three minute period, I went from not even knowing I wasn't feeling loved to God doing it. And the reason I wanted to declare it here is to say the testimony, but also because just like it was in an instant, I feel like because it happened in an instant for me personally, because God just did that. And I was thankful that I just wanted to come up and declare it over all of us, specifically Doris, since you were the one that brought it up, but it's been over all of us that God is increasing, that God, that God wants to increase our capacity to receive his love. He is increasing his capacity. And just like that, in a moment, he has increased our capacity to receive his love fully. Amen. Can I say uh, three cheers for image bearers? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sherry, come on up. <clears throat> so what I thought you said earlier about it being a process mm -hmm. and it being relational for me, that has definitely been the key Right, and I think this is what we're hearing from everybody that it's been the key to really um, being able to receive the love of God. And for quite a while now, um, years ago, he he wooed me to the fourth not, um, fourth watch of the night, mm. and um, and I I yielded to that and just. Um, Starting getting up really early and just seeking him and spending hours with him. And that created the space for amazing experiential relationship. Mm -hmm. And it just, for me, I feel like part of it has been, there's this verse, Psalms 143, verse 8, and it says, um, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing, in some translations it says steadfast love. Mm -hmm. For in you I trust. Show me the way in which I should go. For in you I entrust my soul. And in some translations it says my life. Mm -hmm. So for me recently... Um, because I'm a, a, a mom, a wife, a professional, I have lots going on. I get up and um, that's my time, is that early morning time and that going out hiking. And I really appreciated the gentleman that was talking about the morning sun mm -hmm. hitting him. I like to do this therapeutic thing called sunning my eyes. And so in the morning when I'm out hiking, I take time to sit and actually face the sun and close my eyes. And just, I have this experience of being before him mm -hmm. in the throne, before his throne. And it's always an amazing experience for me because it 
just brings me to that place of undivided attention and undivided focus on his love because I know that the morning is bringing me word of his unfailing love. And Corey Timboom said that faith was fantastic adventure in trusting him. And in the translation that I'm reading right now, which is One New Man, when it goes to Hebrews 11, mm-hmm. instead of saying by faith, it says by trusting. By trusting Abraham did this. By trusting Moses did this. And so I've realized that in enlarging my capacity to be able to receive his love and know how deep and real that is, there's this issue of trust. Mm-hmm. That's cool. It's really cool. So it sounds to me like God might have close to an infinite number of ways to reinforce the pre-existing reality that He loves you. (laughs) And that if we are dull to it at one point, He can sharpen our senses in that way. And if we are ignorant of it, He can educate us on it. And if we are rushing through life distracted, He can use circumstances to slow us down and speak to us in the middle of it. And He can use one another as image bearers to speak that out. And so many things to overcome. Becky, the thing you shared that has kind of fed into some other stuff here, that idea of being able to ask a question. Why don't I feel loved? I grew up a long time in church not knowing if it was safe to ask that question. Because it was... was, kind of interpreted as a testimony of faithlessness or a testimony of fear. And I am so thankful, at least for most of us, that that has been blown out of the arena. Because there's nothing you can't go to the Lord and say. And if you don't believe it, keep in mind that a couple of his disciples says, can we rain fire down on this village and kill everybody in it? So if you'll stop just short of a request like that, (laughs) you'll know that you've still got room to go. Right? Right? Okay. Um, Wow. Oh, hi, Terry. Hi. Um, Okay, so um, one of the things that um, changed me was that I'd heard a story of a pastor that had an encounter with a homeless man that just reeked of every bodily fluid and alcohol and street smell that you could. And God basically told the pastor, if you don't love that smell, I can't use you because the whole world smells like that to me. And I realized hearing that, that I had become offended at my own smell and had to repent about that. And the things that I hold against myself are what actually are stopping me from actually engaging and feeling God's love. Those things are usually assigning the wrong amount of worth or value to the wrong thing. Yeah, that's powerful. That's powerful. Thank you. Okay, just rehearse a couple of things that we're called to believe and let these things begin to feed us. And I've heard some of the scriptures we've already talked about coming out in you guys' testimonies already. So these are, these are true things if we just let them be really strong. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go, therefore. We're linked to His authority. And like I say, those disciples went out. Christians have gone out ever since then. We go out. It doesn't matter where we go. There's no place that can withhold or can stand up to Him. All authority. Uh, 1 Corinthians. The part I want us to see here is, is jumping through these Scriptures. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The added part there to the wisdom of God is that the wisdom can unlock the way in. You know what I'm saying? And then therefore, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's why you can boast in the Lord even if you have something unpraiseworthy that is nagging at you. The other thing I want us to see, and we won't spend a lot of time on this, but this has been God's plan forever. Us living as image bearers is why we were created. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let him rule. And then after doing that, and the rule part's important, we're here to release the kingdom. We're made for that. It gets down there, and after God, with his all-knowingness, looked at everything, he said, this is very good. And in spite of the fact of the fall, that has never been taken back, never been rescinded. You can't find that in Scripture. The thoughts of our hearts at one point got evil, but God never pronounced or withdrew his verdict of good. He just went about cleaning it up. He shared that with us. And then Romans says that this reality of rulership, this reality of image bearing, is still centered on us and on our destiny, even as we face the future and live in it. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption and into the freedom of the glory of who? The children of God. The children of God. And there is something, like Jen said, about finding yourself before the Lord in a vision or in a time of prayer, in a time of awareness, in the Word, and seeing yourself as a little child. And realizing that just because the crown's too big doesn't mean it doesn't belong. That picture, Jen, that you showed us to me seemed like a a living encounter that you had of the prodigal son's return home and encounter with his father. Instead of a crown, it was a ring. But uh, anyway, that was pretty cool. Yes, sir, Dan. Which ones? Okay. So as an engineer, I always was bothered by that verse because it's four dimensions. And it's like, well, there's only three dimensions unless you want to throw in time. <laughs> so who's redundant in here? And so I, But I was just thinking about it. And it's like, well, it's not really physical dimensions he's talking about. It's the breadth is no matter where I go to the left or the right is his love. Mm -hmm. The length is no matter how I travel on the path, he's there. And then he makes the extra one, which is height and depth. No matter how high I go, because you see how yeah, God's love's there when I'm all high. Yeah, yeah. But then he's, but I'm also in the depths. Yeah. And so there's more concept and emphasis in there than 
than just than just I covered the three dimensions yeah, or something. Yeah. You know, what you're saying kind of leads me back to the, to the Psalms where it says, uh, where shall I go you know, to escape his love? If I'm in the depths of the sea, his hand is right. still there. If I go to the highest mountain. Yeah. Because we can think if we're things are not going well, then maybe his love's not there or maybe I'm not loved and yeah. so forth. And that thought, I believe, is one of the most destructive thoughts to knowing that you're loved and being confident of it because because when you think that thought, not you, but when we yeah. think that thought, we have taken love and made it a commodity mm-hmm. that is a reward for behavior or performance or whatever it is in our head. And it didn't come to us as a response or a commodity. It came to us as an initiative. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. It's a good observation. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, we're going to power through this last one get kids out here. So I just wanted you to see that Jesus is the centerpiece of all of this stuff, and therefore I don't have to be. I can embrace what he says about me. I can live in what he's called me to live in because it's not up to me. It's up to me to believe. It's up to me to trust. It's up to me to to wrestle through and ask the questions. But in him was life. And that life is the one that's the light of me. Right? And then he says, I'm the light of the world. And I, I, I was I was just going to compare this to when he said in Matthew, which is the next verse I think I've got, or when I'm, uh, that we're the light of the world. But look what it says after that. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, how many of you have chosen to follow Jesus? All right, so we don't have to argue, what about people that don't? We have a whole rule from people that do. And he who follows me has the light of life. You do, I do. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. You know, we dug into this verse, but I think this first part. How did the Father send Jesus? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. That means that now God has so loved the world that he sent you. And he didn't send you as a last resort. He sent you as a first resource. I have called you by name. Right? And then you're the light of the world. Imagine Jesus using the exact same phrase to define us as himself. That would be almost like the one in John 14 where he says, and you and me, and me and you. So, anyway. That's all we got tonight. And kids are jumping at the bit. What I want you to do, what I need to do, what I'm asking you to do is believe that you are an image bearer of God. You have, you were created to be so. He has always seen you as that. And he has been the one to work and do everything necessary to overcome anything and everything that would prevent you from being that, being who you are and doing so successfully. Okay? Praise God. Thanks for the contribution, everybody.